Today, loved ones, we turn in God's word to Psalm 95. It's good to read the Psalms, to pray the Psalms, and as we just did, to sing the Psalms. Does it help you kids? I know it helps me to sing a song that's a scripture song. It helps you remember the word of God, doesn't it? To to hide it in our hearts. Psalm 95, hear now God's word. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. First Thessalonians 5 tells us what God's will is for our lives. A question that people have all the time, isn't it? Do you know what it says in verse 18? To give thanks in all circumstances to the Lord. This is a time for thankfulness. Even as we are here, many are afflicted and sick. Many are homesick or physically frail and going through challenges and trials. This is a time of thankfulness, Emmaus Road. By the grace of God, we began as a church plant in 2011 from Redeemer Reformed Church in Golden Valley, our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. A core group of families was set apart. We started to meet for Bible study, and then from the end of 2011 until 2019, The earthly home of Emmaus Road Reformed Church was at Eden Lake Elementary in Eden Prairie. How many of you were there? Hands high. So if you're a visitor with us, you're hearing a little history to start. So those are the folks who were there in those years. And then in the providence of God, right before COVID, which none of us would have expected, in the fall of 2019, November, the Minnetonka SDA was available for us to rent. And that's where we have been the last four years up until a month ago. And here we are in the beautiful building and we are thankful for Calvary Lutheran who was here in this building for decades and has kept up this building and here we are as the new home for Emmaus Road. This is a time of thankfulness. We give thanks to God for providing in all of these ways, in these different places and for where we are now. We want this building and the worship of the church here to be to the glory of God. It's not to us, the psalmist says, but to him alone be the glory. 
So all that we do in worship, in fellowship, in discipleship, in outreach, and in evangelism, in this place God has provided, is to be to his honor and glory. We thank you, Emmaus Road, for your prayers. God has answered them far more abundantly than we ever could have asked or imagined. We thank you for your generous giving. Not only in the last few months, but all the years, but in particular now as this building uh, is here for us to use. You have abundantly, generously given for the building, for the work of the church, for repairs. And you can see outside today the roof that's being worked on right now. I was reminded of Nehemiah 3 a while back. The repairs to the temple and your generous giving has allowed already this roof and now that roof to be repaired and other things that we thank God for. We thank you for your faithful service. So many of you have just jumped in. You've said, where can I serve? How can I serve? Where can my gifts be used for the glory of God as we want to worship God in the beauty of this place in his holiness to the glory of his name? Some of you have written wonderful notes of thanks to the consistory we received that. We want to thank you for that. That's the elders and and deacons. Thank you for uh, your notes to them. And we want to thank these elders and deacons for how they have led in humility and perseverance, in dependence upon God in every step. We want this place to be, as some of you wrote, a light of the gospel to the neighborhoods around We want people to come here and see Christ. We want them to come here and be edified with the word of God. We want sinners to come who don't know Christ to be brought out of darkness into light. We want the Holy Spirit to be present here. That's a part of what this service is about today. Our focus today will be in this time of thankfulness on Psalm 95. A well-known psalm. And a psalm that grounds us. Why are we here? As we go forward, as we live as a church family together, as we have different preferences and opinions, even on different ways for the building to be arranged and used, we want to be reminded foundationally why we exist. What are we here for, loved ones? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The goal of missions and discipleship and fellowship and all that happens is the worship of the one true triune God. First, how does this psalm teach us to worship the Lord? Do you see how it begins in verse 1? Come. That is a word of abundant gospel grace. When Adam and Eve lived with God in the garden before the fall, they had perfect fellowship with the Lord. They walked with God, God walked with them. But when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the word that God said? As one commentator says, it was go. They could not be in the presence of God anymore. So as you hear this word come, it is by the gospel of Christ, which we understand so much more clearly even than the psalmist did, The gospel of Christ's blood shed for us that opens for us a new and living way through the curtain. A new and living way into the holy of holies. Through the blood of Jesus we enter now boldly. This is God's word to you to come and worship, Emmaus Road. It's God's promise to you that you've had a hard week. You've been afflicted maybe. 
colds, flus, your own heart of indwelling sin, challenges in your family, griefs and anguishes, trials that you're bearing. You maybe have felt that God is distant from you. You maybe have felt distant from the Lord. God reminds you on the Lord's day, Emmaus Road, come. The first day of the week, come and see the beauty of God in his word. Come and do you see the next word? Let us worship. This is corporate, meaning together. We are the family of God. It's not individuals in different silos that kind of live their life, but we're connected together by our union to Christ and by his spirit, our union with each other. All ages, all ethnicities, all nations, all tribes, all skin colors, all different types of economic situations, all different jobs, all different family situations, married, single, widowed, divorced, come, the Lord says, as a family. And do you notice in verse 6? How do we come? This is the central point of the psalm. Not every psalm, but a lot of Hebrew poetry in the psalms has as the main point of the psalm the middle verse. So as you're reading through the psalms, look for that middle verse. That's exactly what's happening here. We enter God's presence humbly, reverently. We bow down, we kneel before him. We come to worship. What does it mean to worship? Well, as Psalm 96 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The word worship is a word coming from an old English that means worthship. Maybe you've heard this before. Ascribing honor to him, the triune God who is worthy. What does this mean? Well, as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, our sister denomination, they have a really helpful set of kind of guides for worship and, and understandings of worship. They say, rightly, first of all, worship is theological. It's focused on the one true triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson gives us a history lesson. Go back 500 years. What was the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s primarily about? You'll say, well, the authority of Scripture. Yes. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes. And what is the Bible for? Well, it brings us into the knowledge of God. It's God's word. What's the end goal? Worship. As we have fellowship with God through the merits and righteousness of Christ, worship is the goal in all of this. So as the reformers rightly said, foundationally in all of these things, scripture, justification, worship is a part of all of this in terms of the Reformation then and today. In the days of the 1500s, not much different than today, worship had become a spectator event. It had become about entertainment. The congregation was largely passive. Congregational singing was pretty much gone. The service was in Latin, which many people didn't understand. But by the grace and spirit of God, reformation was brought to the church then, and we pray that it will continue to be brought now. Worship is theological. 
Worship is also Christological. Meaning, it is given, received, and at every point conditioned by Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king. Even the architecture of this place helps remind us of this. One of you, and I'm going to be quoting one of you right now, reminded me of this recently. Look up. You guys see up, 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 way up, kids. What do you see up there? You see a ceiling. But what else do you see? Many Christian sanctuaries, as one of you wrote to me, including this sanctuary, was built to resemble an upside-down boat. You know that? An ark. It's meant to recall the architecture here, Noah's ark, where Noah and his family were saved from the waters of God's judgment. The symbolism is twofold. First, Generally, outside the visible church, there is no salvation. So in this sense, the church is a sort of ark, as you wrote. But beyond that, much deeper, Christ is our true and better ark. All who are in him, by grace alone, through faith alone, will certainly pass through the floodwaters of God's just judgment. When you see the architecture of this place, when you come in here and you look up, you can be reminded by faith that you are in Christ. He is the ark of our salvation. So even the way the building is built reminds us of that. Our name reminds us of that. Emmaus Road, Reformed Church. Some of you were there when we talked about the name 12 years ago. In the name, we want people to be reminded of Jesus. As you tell your friends and neighbors about Christ, as you tell them perhaps about the church, Bring them to Luke 24, where Jesus, on that road to Emmaus, on the day that he was raised from the dead, interpreted to the disciples all the things in the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms probably as well, that were pointing to him. We want people to come here and have our eyes and our hearts and our minds set upon Christ by faith. Worship is theological. Worship is Christological. Worship is spiritual, meaning we cannot worship God apart from his Holy Spirit. When the psalm says, let us worship, we pray, God, I am weak, I'm dependent, my mind is wandering, I'm distracted, I'm afflicted, I'm struggling in this way and that. Give me your spirit. Help me, God, to see Christ. I come in desperate dependence upon the Lord. We come expecting that God will meet with us and feed us with his word by his spirit every Lord's Day. We come expecting that the spirit will work through the Lord's Supper and baptism, nourishing our faith, the visible gospel presented to us. When people are brought to repentance of their sin and faith in Christ, that's the spirit's work. When we sing to the glory of God, that's the Spirit's work. When we hear God in his word, that's the work of the Spirit. As we worship the Lord, worship is also pedagogical, meaning it teaches us something. From the call to worship to the benediction, the entire service, loved ones, is worship. Not just the sermon and not just singing. In worship, God speaks in his word We respond in song and in prayer. 
a dialogue. There's a reverence here. There's a liturgy here. There's an order here. The word liturgy means order of service. We want to do in worship what God commands us. We want to think not first and foremost about our preferences, but about what pleases God. We want to worship according to his word. So we will not bind your conscience apart from what the word of God teaches us in worship. Our worship reflects the theology of the word of God. It reminds us the danger of coming with our lips, but our hearts being far from God. The danger of externalism and hypocrisy. Which is what the psalm addresses in a sense. Look at what it says. The psalm doesn't say just come as a frozen chosen. How do we enter? By the Spirit in Christ joyfully. God's people make a joyful noise. Full-throated singing. It doesn't say that you have to have a certain perfect singing voice. We are singing to the Lord, loved ones. I love to sing with you, God's people. Congregational singing is a mark of what we love at the church here because God himself tells us in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. So our singing encourages each other. Let us make a joyful noise. So there's a horizontal element here. We are saying to each other, brother and sister, you're loved by God. Let's join arms together and encourage each other as we sing to the Lord. Thanksgiving is to God. It's not a, a peep. It's not a whisper, but a joyful noise. God's people are singers. Martin Luther said, tell me what they're singing and I will tell you what they believe about God. The lyrics of the psalms, the hymns, however old or new they are, the new songs that we sing are to be honoring to God, reflective of the truth of God's word. The tune should be singable. You say, well, we might struggle here. We're going to learn some new things. We're going to struggle. We might say, well, that tune didn't work that well. Let's try this. And we give each other grace. It's to the Lord that we are singing. And singing gives emotional expression to our words. God created you to sing. Do you know that Zephaniah says God sings and rejoices over you? That might be a word of encouragement we all need to hear. Some of you maybe are really hard on yourself. Or hard on your kids, or both. Do you know that we are to others precisely the way that we believe God has been to us? Siblings, how you treat each other. Remember, God rejoices over you. He loves you. And by his spirit, express that same love to each other and in the singing of the, the word of God, to the glory of God, our tongues and our lips shout out praises and delight in God. Hebrews tells us, do you know who's holding your songbook next to you as you sing? Hebrews 2.12. Do you know who that is? You say, well, my spouse, my kids, yeah. You know who else? Hebrews 2.12. Jesus. 
When we sing as a church, it is Jesus who shares the hymnal with us. That will lead us to burst forth into singing. That is how we worship. Secondly, why then do we worship? Do you see in verse 3? Sometimes we can think, okay, I'm going to worship, but I'm not sure why. The psalm tells us. You see that? Because the Lord our God is what? A great God. He is a great king above all gods. The doctrine of God, who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is why we worship him. He is sovereign. As Psalm 100 said, he is good. He is abundant in loving kindness and steadfast love. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the king of kings. Every worship service we attend is an audience with the king of kings. Come and worship because everything is in his hands. This summer we went to Glacier National Park. The heights of the mountains, the beauty of the glory of God is there, isn't it? Even down in the depths of the ocean, maybe you've gone snorkeling or you've gone to Shields and you see those fish there. Look at the colors of them. Look at the way they swim. God made them to point to his glory. Our family was up north. We thank you for the vacation, by the way, last week. The Milky Way, the star. Some of our kids saw a shooting star for the first time. Around here, you don't see them that much, do you? When you're out of the city, the beauty of the grandeur of the billions of galaxies that, made, that God made point to God who is greater than them, who upholds them. He made them all. The heavens declare the glory of God. Come and worship because he is above all gods. See that? There are no other gods. But our hearts are idol factories. We all worship someone or something. In a movie, in a book that the movie was based on, it talks about a mirror named Erised. The word desire spelled backwards. Harry looks at the mirror. He's amazed. What does he see in the mirror? His parents. They're dead. They died when he was an infant. But in the mirror, he sees them loving him. He gets his friend, Ron. Ron looks in the mirror. He thinks Ron's going to see his parents too. Who does Ron see? Ron says, I'm a sports champion. I look great. What is the mirror era said doing? It's showing them the deepest and most desperate desire of their hearts. Whatever we say I am living for, that controls us. That is our God. Worship is the human response to what we most value. We always live our lives according to what we love the most. And that's why the worship of God changes us. God's love, beloved, is more satisfying and beautiful than any other love. God's honor and glory is greater than anything in life. Your value is found in God. The world is telling you, have all these gods of entertainment and fashion and technology and all these things that in and of themselves are gifts of God, but worship them, the world says. That's your identity. But God, who made us to have this thing called desire in our hearts, changes our desires. We're not Buddhists. He doesn't say, get rid of your desires. 
In Christ, we have a superior satisfaction. Our hearts are restless until they rest in Jesus. So as Christians, we look into this mirror, Eris said, and we enjoy God. What a beautiful God we serve. Gracious. When we truly know him, we will adore him, as Reeve says, and delight in him and enjoy him. So worshiping God and enjoying him for who he is fuels a love for his church. So we don't want to use the church, but we want to serve the church. It fuels a love for your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, the lost. Loving God brings us to share his concerns, which is what? We want to see his life-giving glory fill the earth. Come and worship because God is great. Come and worship, why? Because God is your shepherd. Kids, why should you glorify God? Because he made me and takes care of me. As one pastor says, that comes right out of Psalm 95, 6 and 7. See that? God made you kids and moms and dads in your image, in his image, to reflect him. He is your shepherd. That's a motive to worship. You are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Jesus, the son of God, became man. He brings you into the covenant of grace by his spirit. Jesus, the good shepherd, claimed you for his own. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for you. Jesus is the lamb of God and the good shepherd. The lamb who laid down his life for the sins of his people, taking our sin on himself, giving to you by his grace his righteousness. You are the sheep of his hand. He defends you. He takes care of you. We don't know what the year ahead will bring. We don't know what good providence we will have. We are to be thankful in times of prosperity. We don't know what trials we will have. God says, I give you grace to be patient in adversity. We know our lives are in God's hands. He feeds us word and sacrament by his spirit. You've been forgiven. You've been loved. You are loved. You are adopted, an adopted child of God. You are a new creation in Maus Road. You are a saint in Christ who struggles with sin. Beloved, do not reverse the order. Do not say, I am a sinner, loathsome and vile, that is of no value. Those in Christ are saints in Jesus who struggle with sin. And remember this, there is a warning here against presumption. Third, for those who are not in Christ, this warning is very direct, isn't it? And it's a call to come to Christ, you who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest in him. Verse 7, there's a shift. The psalm now begins to speak, yes, of worship, but in particular of those who harden their hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, God calls you and me here to hear his voice in his word. Public worship, as one person said, is the most dangerous place to be all week for the pastor and the congregation. Dangerous because God is speaking, 
but some are not hearing his voice. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember that commandment? Why does it say that? Because we're so prone to forget. We're prone to forget who God is. We're prone to forget his love for us. We're prone to forget our connection to each other as a family of God. Our lives are busy. Monday through Saturday. Sometimes we're in hyper overdrive. Sometimes we're struggling with laziness. Sometimes it's both. And God says, come on day one. That's what today is. And rest. The danger of hardening your hearts, the psalmist says, goes back to the days of the Exodus. Do you notice how it brings you back there? What happened there? God delivered his people by his mighty hand from slavery in Egypt after 430 years. He brings them to the brink of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming after me. What do you think that I should do? I raised my rod and I cleared my throat and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float. Anybody know that? No? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Song at summer camp? No, maybe not. Well, that's what happened. Pharaoh's army's pursuing from behind. The Red Sea's in front. God's pillar of fire blocks them, preserves them. God sends a wind. He saves his people. He delivers them. Three days later, what happens? Three days This Moses guy is a wretched leader. What's wrong with him? There's no water. How prone we are to forget the goodness of God. God provides water at that place, Meribah and Massa. Moses strikes the rock. God feeds his people quail. Forty years later, Kadesh, Numbers 20, a rerun. Again, no water. This time God doesn't say, strike the rock, speak to it. Moses strikes it in disobedience. God provides water in his grace. Moses in that generation doesn't enter the promised land. Doesn't say that none of them were saved. They did not enter the earthly promised land. But of that 1.5 million people, men, women, and children, that left Egypt, how many under the age of 20 entered the land, the earthly land. Remember? Two. Joshua and Caleb. It's a warning. Again, it's not saying all the rest were condemned to hell, but many of them didn't believe. We don't know the names. We do know they grumbled. We we do know the danger of the hardening of heart. And we know Hebrews speaks as an inspired commentary of Psalm 95. Today, if you have a chance, read Hebrews 3 and 4. Because what's the problem here? They did not hear the word of God with what? Faith. Chilling words. Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The danger of the hardness of heart. The danger of being in the presence of God's people with a heart that's hard. A warning against formalism, hypocrisy, refusing to bow and worship the Lord. A reminder to encourage each other, Hebrews says, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. The warning in Psalm 95 is real. To keep going. To not lose heart to press on Emmaus Road, 
to not turn back and look for some other savior. Jesus is that savior. You look up to him physically to see the architecture. You look up to him with your eyes spiritually to know that he loves you. Keep on keeping on. Today is the day of salvation and the day of testing. Persevere because Jesus loves you. Remember, as you come to worship through this year, this is day one. We find rest in Christ, in his finished work. We enter into his rest because he himself has won that rest for us. See how the psalm concludes? What a promise. By grace, enjoy Jesus and all that he is for you. May this day be a day as the church, a colony of heaven on earth, is refreshed in the gospel of Christ. May you come and know Jesus died for your sins. He was raised from the dead for your sins. He's equipping you now to go forth and serve him. So it's days two to seven, Monday through Saturday, in gratitude for all that we have in Christ. Love and serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.